Warm greetings to all our friends and brethren around the world. It's a very beautiful day here in Charlotte. In fact, when I went out uh, this morning for a little walk, the sky was just absolutely blue. And for those of you who don't know it, uh, it's known in uh, North Carolina as Carolina Blue, just absolutely beautiful. Welcome to all our guests uh, that may be here. We have uh, Mr. King from uh, England. He'll be doing taping two television programs next week. And uh, again, uh, thank you very much for that beautiful special music. Uh, we appreciate God's promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us, and he will be with us to the end. As you heard in the update, uh, we had a wonderful Council of Elders conference this past week. Uh, several commented that uh, they really appreciated Dr. Meredith's uh, leadership. Uh, he was there every, uh, every day, every session, and uh, gave us the kind of wisdom and leadership that we need. And, of course, he was uh, soliciting the wisdom and counsel from the members themselves. So it was very inspiring, and we really appreciated uh, uh, the uh, attendance of those who were there and also reminded me of Psalm uh, 133, you know, blessed, uh, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And it was just beautiful uh, we really appreciated uh, your prayers for it, and it went very well. Uh, God is blessing his work. Our Feast of Tabernacles attendance uh, came in, uh, finally numbered more than 9,600. Uh, the telecast is now going on new stations in major cities. And we're looking at uh, Denver, Washington, D.C., uh, Houston, and uh, several other cities. Uh, the income is moving along at uh, 8%. So thank you. That's an increase of 8%. So thank you for your prayers and for your support. On the world scene, as you all know, the uh, Palestinians have shot uh, missiles, rockets to towards Tel Aviv and even towards Jerusalem. And so the Israelis are calling up uh, reservists, uh, mobilizing about 75,000 if they need to, and uh, perhaps uh, uh, threatening to invade uh, the Gaza Strip. So we need to be watching world news in the Middle East. Hurricane uh, Sandy and the following snowstorms caused a great deal of damage. Thousands are still homeless, and thousands are still without electricity weeks later. So we pray for those who are homeless. Uh, we pray for those who still have needs of electricity, not only in the northeastern part of the United States, but uh, people who have needs all around the world. In our personal lives, we have needs which we pray about, some serious, uh, some not so serious needs, uh, which we think are, are serious. But then when we compare our lives to those who are suffering in other parts of the world, we realize that we are totally and greatly blessed. Let's turn to uh, Philippians 4, verse 19. We have a promise here from God. When we think of our personal needs and the needs of God's work, in the needs of people who are suffering in other parts of the world. We have a wonderful promise here from God in Philippians, the fourth chapter. Philippians 4. Paul is uh, thanking the uh, Philippians uh, for their uh, donations and their support. And he says in verse 19 of Philippians 4, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So God will provide all our need. That might include 
physical things. It might include forgiveness. It might even include correction, which perhaps we have need and don't even think about asking God to fulfill that particular need. Some of you know the story in Mr. Herbert Armstrong's autobiography. This is volume one. And uh, on chapter, let's see, it's page four, chapter 23, uh, Prelude to the Ministry. And I, when I read this it just years ago, it was just a, a classic example of how God will provide our every need. It's called Asking God for a Dime. The baby was crying lustily. This is on page 401 of his uh, autobiography, Volume 1. Hurry, exclaimed my wife, go to the store and get a quart of milk. The baby has missed one feeding, and it's a whole hour past his second feeding, and I haven't a bit of milk for him. Mr. Armstrong responds, well, I'm broke. Give me a dime. Of course, in those days, milk was only 10 cents. Milk was then 10 cents a quart. Think of that. But if I'd had a dime, I'd have sent Beverly after the milk long ago, she she replied. I've been waiting for you, praying for God to hurry you home. I thought you'd have at least a dime. (laughs) He didn't have even had 10 cents. So he did what he had read in the Bible, that he was going to ask God to provide his every need. I locked the bathroom door, knelt beside the bathtub. God had promised to supply our every need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I believed him. But we had to have the answer immediately. I had learned that sometimes God does not answer at once. He sometimes tries our faith in order to develop patience in us. But right now it seemed that little Garner Ted needed his milk more urgently than I needed patience. I felt there was not time or need of a long prayer. Instantly, the 70th Psalm flashed into my mind. God, by his Holy Spirit, inspired David to record as part of the very word of God, David's prayer, wherein he asked God to make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me. O Lord, make no tarrying. Oh, I've asked that. I've uh, turned to that psalm many times and even asked God to hurry up and uh, answer quickly if he would be so kind. I knew that prayer would not be in God's word unless it was God's will to answer that same prayer for me. So I boldly asked God to make haste. I arose and locked the door, went back toward the kitchen. And before I even reached the kitchen, one of our girls cried out from the living room window, Oh, Mother, here comes the old rag and bottle man. Well, quick, Beverly called my wife, run and stop him. We have a lot of old things in the basement. We can sell him. The only entrance to our basement, uh, Mr. Armstrong writes, I remember was from the outside at the rear of the house. In eager anticipation, we led the rag and bottle man down the basement stairs. My wife showed him all kinds of things. We expected to get at least a dollar from him. He only shook his head. No, nothing here I want, he said, starting back up the stairs. Our hearts sank. Halfway up the stairs, he stopped, glanced at the high stack of old magazines beside the stairs. Slowly, he turned and retraced his steps, and examining the stack of magazines, I'll give you a dime for these, he said. This is all I want. I had asked God to send us a dime immediately in haste. When God sent it, within the very minute I asked, we tried to increase it to a dollar or more. 
They tried to increase it to a dollar or more. But the immediate need was a dime for milk. God did not promise to supply our wants, only our need. The need I had asked was a dime, ten cents. That's what God sent immediately. We had learned another lesson. We gratefully gave God thanks as I ran all the way to the store and then back with the milk. Jesus said, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. I know that is true. Do you? Well, that's in Mr. Armstrong's autobiography, pages 401 through 403. And by the way, this is available on Amazon.com for $6. So volume one and $6 for volume two. We've all learned special lessons, and uh, in chapter 18, uh, Mr. Armstrong had a chapter, Learning Whether God Answers Prayers, chapter 22 in that autobiography, Astounding Answers to Prayers. So today I want to ask you, how effective are your prayers? Do you have the faith that God will answer your prayers? Uh, Some of us perhaps pray too routinely, and we don't really expect God's special intervention and answer. But we do need to seek God regularly, consistently, and persistently. The title of the sermon today is Persevere in Prayer. You turn to Luke, the 18th chapter, is the classic example that Jesus gave us, the parable of the importunate widow, meaning she importunes, or it could be uh, titled the parable of the unjust judge as well. He spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Have some of us lost heart from time to time, saying there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. This is Luke 18, verse 3. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. She's just bothering me all the time. She's harassing me. The Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? God wants us to persist in prayer. He says, shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? And Jesus said, of course, the parable was for the purpose that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. We've advertised this on the telecast, um, but I don't know if the, when the last time was you've read this booklet by Dr. Meredith, uh, 12 Keys to Answered Prayer. And key number eight, be persistent, he writes this. When you have a really deep desire for something, you should cry out to God day and night, never giving up. God wants us to be persistent. He wants us to walk with him, talk with him, and commune with him continually, day after day in this age, and ultimately throughout eternity. The Apostle Paul instructs us to pray without ceasing. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. So I had a desire many years ago, you'll turn to Psalm 
37.4, and I didn't pray day and night, but I did pray probably weekly for years that God would give me the desire of my heart. Some of you have heard me tell the story, but there are several new here that have not. And this particular promise that God gave here in Psalm 37, verse 4, is one of my favorite psalms. Now, God does promise to provide our need, but it does He pro- promise to provide something beyond your need? Yes, He does. And it's right here in verse 4. But there are conditions for that uh, promise to be fulfilled. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, the Eternal, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, again, those desires must be godly desires. And in 1967, the Israelis took over the old city. It was the Six-Day War. And for the first time in many thousand years or centuries, the Israelis had to were had the opportunity of occupying the old city of Jerusalem. Before that, it was divided. They were only on the new side of Jerusalem. We had a Plain Truth magazine that uh, covered that whole uh, dramatic story. And I thought, I would like to go to Jerusalem. I really would, now that uh, the Israelis have control of it. And I began praying for the privilege of going to Jerusalem. And I prayed 1967, 1968, 1969, all through 1970s, starting 1981, 1982, 1983, 1984. And by that time, we had uh, the archaeological digs. I think Mr. Uh, King had been on one of those digs. And uh, my wife and I were invited to go to the city of David excavations in 1984. And when they did... When Raymond McNair, the deputy chancellor, came in and said, Mr. Armstrong would like you and your wife to go to Jerusalem on the archaeological dig, I actually literally did this. I jumped. And from that time on, it's called, I call it a jump for joy moment. Uh, there are not very many in my life, uh, jump for joy moments, because those are very, very special times. So 17 years. I've been praying about going to Jerusalem, and God gave me that desire. My wife and I were there and for that summer and had an excellent uh, visit in Jerusalem and were able to travel throughout Israel. And uh, we certainly need to be praying about uh, the situation in the Middle East so that those who are scheduled to go there for the Feast of Tabernacles in 2013 uh, will be able to go there peacefully. So we need to be praying about that. But read here Psalm 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord. That is a condition for having the desires of your heart answered or fulfilled. Delight yourself in the Lord. And, of course, he tells us to to delight in the Sabbath in Isaiah 58. And And he tells us to delight in His law in Psalm 1. So that's a dimension of life that uh, Jesus came, that we might have an abundant life. Uh, Is there anything that you delight in? Uh, We should be delighting ourselves in the very nature and our relationship with God the Father and with Christ. Verse 5, Psalm 37, Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. 
So God gives us those awesome and wonderful promises. More recently, I was praying about a need, and I was just about giving up on it. Um, you know, when you lose something, you, I, I began to wonder, is, am I losing my head or my brain? Or uh, I know that I put my little week at a glance down there every, um, every evening there on my dresser, but it's missing. Where did it go to? Did I lose it at the restaurant? And I'm just praying in my week at a glance. I know I've shared with you before. I've had, uh, of course, uh, all my little lessons in it and expenses and mileage and wonder what happened to it. And I went to, actually went to the restaurant the next day and, and had uh, Mr. Lyons call for the lost and found here. Nothing, and I'm just worrying and, and concerned about it. I searched my car, searched my home office, searched the bedroom, served everywhere. Um, but they begin to realize there's a bigger picture here. I must be having to learn some lessons. So I went ahead and decided, well, I will buy another memo book in place. I bought one for 99 cents um, so I could put in my mileage and expenses. And I felt like giving up. But it was three weeks later, and I think we, my wife and I were sitting down to dinner, and I just asked God, I said, well, Father, please uh, return to me my lost little black memo book. Just a brief prayer. The next morning, three weeks after I'd lost this valuable booklet, I was sitting there in the bedroom by uh, the window reading the Bible, and I just glanced under the cedar chest at the uh, end of our bed, and there it was the little cross pen and the little week at a glance right under there, and I was amazed. It had been gone. I had thought, there's no way. I I had prayed and asked God to send an angel to give it back to me. Uh, He didn't do it exactly that way. But I tell you, it was a jump for joy moment, and I thank God, and I was in tears. But I had thought about giving up, asking about it. The lesson was, one of the lessons was persevere in prayer. And that this, to me, was a very valuable book. Now, some of us have lost other things, but don't give up when you're you're losing things of that. Sometimes it's valuable. I mean, I've I've lost, uh, uh, well, I shouldn't tell on my wife, but uh, we were in uh, Jamaica at the feast some years ago, and she... Lost, staying in a very nice hotel there at Ocho Rios for the Feast of Tabernacles, and she lost her wedding ring. I said, "Oh no, we searched high and low, couldn't find. Where did you, where did you last have it? Well, I had it on the the bathroom counter there in the the bathroom. And uh, anyway, a couple days went by, and and uh, I noticed there was a an opening between the uh, dresser, um, the counter, and the wall. Now. A luxurious uh, hotel shouldn't have that kind of a, a space. And I thought, oh, there's a space there. Maybe it could have fallen down. I crawled under the counter and looked up, and sure enough, there the ring had fallen down that crack behind the, the bathroom counter and the wall and found the ring. You know, there are a lot of uh, stories uh, here. Um, my turn to... Uh, well, let's, let's turn to Acts, the second, the twelfth chapter first. Acts uh, 12, about uh, another perseverance. We'll come back to the lost items a little later. 
and I'll tell another story on my wife after that, but uh, Acts, the 12th chapter, when we persevere in prayer, it's not only for us, but in this case, the church was persevering in prayer for the apostle Peter. Acts, the 12th chapter. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded then to seize Peter also. It was the days of unleavened bread. Verse 4, when he arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered to him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. We don't ever give up. We persevere in prayer. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison, so no way he could escape. But, oh, however, an angel of the Lord stood by him in verse 7, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. So God's people were praying for him. The King James Version has in verse 5, Peter were therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So again, God will intervene. But this was persevering prayer by the church for Peter. As Dr. Meredith said, sometime maybe uh, any of us, Dr. Meredith, myself, or Dr. Doug Winnell, or others of us might be in prison. And we certainly will appreciate your persevering prayers at that time, your continuing prayers. Constant prayer was offered to God for him, or prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Let's turn to Luke, the 15th chapter, Luke 15. We need to persevere in prayer for many reasons. And, of course, uh, when I've lost items like that, it... uh, I'm just wondering whether I'm losing my powers of observation or not. Luke, the 15th chapter, we have three actual parables that's called the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. And we as a church have been praying for the lost sheep. When a man of you, verse 4, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. If he finds it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. We as a church have fasted, and Dr. Meredith wrote letters to for us to be praying that those who are lost sheep could come back into the church. And that over the years, I've mentioned to you before how in 2006, I guess it was, at Daytona, this one person came back and said, this is my first Feast of Tabernacles in 30 years. Wonderful. A lost sheep has come back. I mentioned that in Paducah, Kentucky, uh, which was the next feast site we attended that year. And some person came up afterwards and said, this is my first feast back in 40 years. And so, yes, our prayers make a difference. 
People are coming back. I mentioned that at Victor Harbor, Australia this year, and I thought 40 years was quite a long time. This one man, after I had mentioned that to the congregation about the 30 and the 40 years, this one man came back and said, this is my first feast back in 47 years. He had gone to, grown up in the church, had attended the Feast of Tabernacles, and now uh, was back keeping the feast. I'm sorry, this was his second year. His, his first uh, year back after 47 years was in 2011. But we still pray for the lost sheep. Then he gives the parable of the lost coin, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep her house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, I have found the peace which I have lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And we keep calling the world and those who are lost, who maybe been in the church, lost sheep, and they hear that message, and they come back, and God leads them to finding Tomorrow's World telecast or the Tomorrow's World website, and they come back into the church. So never give up on your lost or seemingly lost relatives and friends and people that you've grown up with, maybe been attended imperial school with or ambassador college with. Maybe some of them will yet come back into the fold. We keep praying for them. Well, I did tell you I was going to, well, the last one, of course, is uh, the most uh, inspiring and sobering one. Uh, it really requires much more time than we have here, but uh, needless to say, it shows how that God the Father will forgive any of us as we stray. And uh, he says, of course, in verse 32, it was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And so how encouraging it is when brethren who've gone astray come back into the church. But you could go over those parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Well, I did mention uh, about my wife uh, losing something else. That same situation in Ocho Rios where she had lost her wedding ring, she also lost another ring I had given her. I think it was a ruby ring. Oh, no. So we're praying and praying. Where could this be? Where Where did you last have it, hon? Well, I was praying by the couch over here, and so I looked on the couch, and there it was, right on the top of the couch, but it blended in with the color of the fabric, so it was very difficult to see. But, again, God answered our prayers to find something that was lost. As we grow older, some of us have a little difficulty. And, I mean, this did happen to me years ago. I was looking for my glasses, and, yes, they were on the top of my head. And uh, I won't ask you to raise your hands how many of uh, you have experienced that as well. Uh, some of you know the uh, memory loss poem. And, of course, those of us over uh, 50 will uh, identify with this. Just a line to say I'm living, that I'm not among the dead, though I'm getting more forgetful and so mixed up in the head. I got used to my arthritis, to my dentures I'm resigned. I can manage my bifocals, but I do miss my mind. For sometimes I can't remember when I stand at the foot of the stairs 
if I must go up for something or I just came down from there. And before the fridge so often, my poor mind is filled with doubt. Have I just put food away or have I come to take some out? And there's times when it is darkened, when with my nightcap on my head, I don't know if I'm retiring or just getting out of bed. So if it's my turn to write you, there's no need for getting sore. I may think that I have written and don't want to be a bore. So remember that I love you and I wish that you were near. Now it's time to post this letter, so must say goodbye, my dear. Here I stand beside the mailbox with a face so very red. Instead of mailing your letter, I have opened it instead. So we uh, all have difficulties from time to time. But if God doesn't answer your prayer in a couple days, do you give up? I felt like giving up after having lost my little memo book for three weeks, but I didn't. I prayed. But one of the major requirements for the answered prayer, any prayer, is praying that God's will be done. Let's turn to John, the sixth chapter, John 6. And sometimes we obsess over something and have to come to a point in our lives where we have to let go and let God. John, the sixth chapter, and verse 22. No, I'm I'm sorry. That's not the right reference here. Matthew 6, sorry, let's get to... Matthew 6, of course, in verse 9, we know that uh, that's a part of the outline prayer where we pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. These are topics to pray about. We know God's name. He's the Father of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He's the creator of heaven and earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray for God's will to be done. But do we really do that? Sometimes we're conflicted. We know we should do something or want something and yet can't have it. And we're just conflicted over it. But we have to come to that point where we surrender and say, Your will be done, not mine. Just as Jesus prayed the night before he was crucified. This cup could be removed from me, but nevertheless, your will be done, he prayed to the Father. I was talking to someone here recently who about this kind of situation, and um, the individual said that he had had a problem that had lasted for 50 years. And he finally prayed, said, Father, I cannot solve this problem. I give up. I put it into your hands. And within a week's time, the problem was solved. He didn't tell me exactly what it was, but I I have suspicions at what it was. So sometimes we're perplexed, but we have to realize that, yes, maybe it's a, not in this particular case, but maybe it's a conflict with a friend or a relative and, and an insult and a hurt that you've been carrying around for years and you just can't forgive and you can't just let go. But there is a times when you have to say, your will be done and not mine. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You put it in God's hands. And if there's some correction that is due an individual, that other person has to learn a lesson. God will teach that person. 
But sometimes we have to come to the point that, yes, we need to surrender to God's will. Now, how does God answer? Sometimes he answers immediately. Just uh, when I'm saying, well, please help me to find my glasses, and yes, they're right there on my head, uh, that's almost an immediate answer. But sometimes the answer is repent and humble yourself first. Job had to learn some lessons. He suffered a long time. But it was a teaching opportunity, a learning opportunity for Job. You might just turn there because it is a lesson that when we are awaiting God's deliverance, maybe we should learn that, yes, before he delivers us, there are some lessons we must learn. And one of the key scriptures in the whole book of Job, his three friends were unable to find Job's problem. They accused him of uh, being uh, unrighteous, of having hidden sins. Uh, They were wrong. Because they just assumed that any time that someone was suffering, he must be suffering because of his sin. And God is punishing him because he's a, a sinner somehow. But Job, you're not telling us what your sins are. And God corrected those three friends because they did not find the real key to Job's problem. But young Elihu did find that key in Job, the 34th chapter and verse 31. Well, he again, is uh, filled. He's the young man, so he doesn't uh, speak until all the older wise men have finished talking. He does say that Job uh, was righteous in his own eyes. But the key verse here, verse 31 of Job 34, For has anyone said to God, I have borne chastening, I will offend no more? Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Have you said that, Job? And have we said that when we're wondering, we're perplexed, why am I going through this trial? Why am I suffering so much? Have we ever said, look, I don't know why I'm going through this trial. I don't know why I'm suffering. But if I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Teach me what I do not see. So we have to ask God, to teach us. And as Dr. Meredith has said after his stroke some years ago, that he wanted to learn every lesson he could learn. And we are in training to become kings, priests, and judges. We need to learn whatever lessons we can learn now. And, of course, uh, we look forward to the Passover in the spring. We'll be examining ourselves at that time as well. But we need to prepare ourselves. So there are different types of answers to prayers. One is, yes, We'll answer your prayer after you learn some lessons. And God blessed Job with twice as much possession as he had before he had the had before he learned his lesson. That's in uh, chapter uh, forty-two. So uh, all his uh, brothers and sisters came to him. Job forty-two and uh, gave him uh, gifts. But it says in verse ten. And the Eternal restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. God told him to uh, pray for his friends. Indeed, the Eternal gave Job twice as much as he had before. So sometimes we have to learn lessons before God answers our prayers to help us to learn certain lessons. A ten-year-old girl 
wrote her grandmother, or actually the grandmother wrote me about uh, the 10-year-old uh, granddaughter. I'll just read the letter about the 10-year-old learning a particular lesson about uh, answered prayer. My granddaughter called me this morning. It was on the Day of Atonement some years ago. And since she was fasting, I asked her what she'd been doing. She said she'd looked at her mother's magazines and found an article that she said uh, she picked because she had been wondering why God wasn't seeming to answer her prayers. I asked her which article it was, and to look at the date on the cover, it was Tomorrow's World magazine, March, April 2005, the answer to unanswered prayer. When I asked her what she found the most helpful, she read to me a paragraph that uh, sometimes God's response is a quick and simple yes. Sometimes after we've been patient for a while, he answers yes. And sometimes he gives a positive answer, which we may not yet expect. She then said the last one was especially meaningful to her, that the greatest challenge is the answer, not until you repent. Here's a 10-year-old girl, actually a fatherless girl, The article said, you can talk to God as a friend. So she tried talking to God as a friend, asked him to forgive her every sin she's ever committed. Ten-year-olds ask God to forgive them every sin they've ever committed? She did. And then asked for two things, to have a better attitude and to choose the right people to have hang around with. She was later elected vice president of uh, all the fifth grade classes at her school and made an A-plus on her math test this week, the grandmother wrote. So here's a a girl who uh, actually was asking God to forgive her for every sin that she had committed. Number six in the 12 keys to answered prayer is seek God's will. And sometimes we're not surrendering to God's will because we want our way rather than God's way. Psalm 40, verse 8, let's just turn there. Psalm 40 and uh, verse 8. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Here in Psalm 40 and verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. So again, we want to make sure that we are surrendering our will to God's will. And sometimes the answer is immediate. Sometimes the answer is not now. I waited 17 years to have the desire of my heart to visit Jerusalem. And sometimes we need to learn lessons before he blesses us. The key, again, is to trust God to answer in a way that's most beneficial to all. Well, while we're here in uh, Psalm 40, I guess my eye just falls over here on Psalm 39, verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Eternal, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner, as all my fathers were. I was going to ask that question later, but I just see it here. When was the last time you ever prayed to God with tears? Sometimes we go through suffering, but it may be a commentary on our passion, the depth of our concern, the depth of our commitment, and the depth of our 
empathy and compassion for others who may be suffering. And I know some of you have shed tears and prayers for for your friends or relatives who may be suffering, may be dying, or may be going through some other serious, serious trial. But there are times then we have to plead with God. I've told you before about my back pain, and you know, I had serious back pain, and it was just excruciating pain, and I would just, I guess, to try to cope with it, write down, uh, what is my pain level here at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? Is it a 7 or 8 or a 9? What is it at 3 o'clock? Well, it's closer to 9. Uh, that is the pain level on a scale of 1 to 10. I mean, it got to a point, and I don't think my, my wife was in the house at that time, but I was yelling at God. Father, please rebuke this pain. It's, it's painful. It hurts. Rebuke this pain. Heal me. I was pleading with God, yelling at God. Now, some yell at God, saying, uh, you know, why are you doing this to me, rather than asking God to intervene for it. And I told you before how Dr. Meredith came over and anointed me at about noontime. I was in bed, and I still couldn't get out of bed. And uh, I tried to, to get out of bed, and or I tried to crawl to the bathroom. That's what it was. I got out of bed, but I couldn't even crawl. Somehow got back into bed. And Dr. Meredith came over and anointed me, and I went to sleep. And then three hours later, I woke up and was able. I didn't feel any pain. Just, can I sit up in the bed? Oh, yeah, I can sit up. Can I? Can I just move over with my legs on the edge of the bed? Yes. Can I stand up? Yes. Can I walk? Yes. You know, three hours before, I could not even crawl. We have to plead with God sometimes, but we also trust that God will intervene when He will intervene, how He will intervene, and where He'll intervene. As it tells us, I won't turn there, uh, Hebrews... Uh, well, let's turn back there to Hebrews uh, 6 chapter because there are other verses around Hebrews the 6 chapter. But this is a, a part of our faith, a part of our endurance, and a part of our trust in God. Hebrews 6 chapter. Hebrews 6 and uh, verse 12. Breaking in the middle of a, a section here. He says that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So it may take time before God fulfills his promise. You claim those promises, but God may take some time to do it. But here in Hebrews 5, verse 6, we realize that even Jesus himself pleaded with the Father, who in the days, well, starting with verse 6, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, verse 7 of Hebrews 5, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, uh, just hadn't focused on that, vehement cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he were, he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So yes, there are times when we plead with, for God. And here Jesus pleaded with vehement cries and tears. 
You may know the story of King Hezekiah, but let's take a look at that in 2 Kings 20. 2 Kings, the 20th chapter. Second Kings 20, and starting in uh, verse 1. In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Eternal, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Eternal, saying, Remember now, O Eternal, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Eternal came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Eternal, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Eternal." And, of course, he wanted to know, he wanted to have a sign which God gave him, and he gave him 15 more years of life. So God had pronounced, you're dying, but Hezekiah pleaded for a different response, for a different outcome. And God heard that, and God gave him 15 more years. So God is willing to hear the prayers of his children We plead with God as Jesus did. We plead with God as Hezekiah did. And sometimes we even negotiate with God. But how many times have you pleaded with God with your whole heart, with your whole being, and offered up prayers and tears and vehement cries as as Jesus did, not just for yourself, but for your family, for your brothers and sisters in Christ, or for God's work, or for some other situation? But God in heaven appreciates a contrite heart. One aspect of persevering prayer is to plead with God wholeheartedly. But he wants to hear from you. Let's turn back to Exodus, the 33rd chapter. Exodus 33. He's given us all minds to think and to meditate on his law and on his way of life. And he wants to know that we can think the way he thinks. Exodus, the 33rd chapter. Human beings have responded to God's conversations, just as Moses did in Exodus 33. Starting with verse 11, So the Eternal spoke to Moses face to face, this is before the tabernacle door, as a man speaks to his friend. So the one who became Jesus Christ, the Yahweh, the Eternal, the the God of the Old Testament, spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses talked to God, not God the Father, but the one who became Christ. And if God talked to a human being, will he not speak face to face to his own born-again children in the resurrection as we go before God's throne on the sea of glass and see him face to face? One critic recently was saying that, oh, that's all symbolic. Symbolic? What do you mean symbolic? 
uh, like the uh, so-called beatific vision? No, he met him face to face. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not return from the, the tabernacle. So, again, he carried on a conversation with him. I might just turn, you might hold your place there in Exodus uh, 33, but I just, while we're just talking about the Sea of Glass, I just want to mention this matter of, uh, just put in one little point for thought. Revelation 22, and of course this was uh, mentioned in Mr. Rod McNair's article on uh, FaceTime, on the plane, what was it called? The article. Okay. <laughs> you wrote it. You should know that. <laughs> it's because FaceTime, I believe, is the title of the Tomorrow's World uh, article. Uh, Mr. Bohm was uh, confirming that was the title. Uh, so uh, he did uh, mention this particular verse, uh, Revelation 22, verse 4. This is after the white throne judgment, but again it says, They shall see his face. They're before the throne of God and the Lamb, verse 3, and his name shall be on their foreheads. So someone who says, no, this isn't real, this is just symbolic, we don't really see God face to face, it's just really uh, nonsense uh, to try to uh, do away with what is reality. This is reality, and it was real when Moses met with the eternal face to face in Exodus, the 33rd chapter. We do need to carry on conversations. Let's turn to uh, Exodus the 30, I'm sorry, yes, Exodus 32, verse 7. And here we find that Moses was pleading with God, interceding with God. So God wants to carry on a conversation with you. He's not put on the defensive if you say, well, you said, God, that I'm going to die, but please, I want to live another 15 years. Uh, he's not on the defensive for that request. And neither was God on the defensive in chapter 32, starting with verse 7, when the Israelites were committing idolatry. Moses was up in the top of the mountain with God, and God told him to go get down there, verse 7, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Exodus 32, verse 7. But notice just uh, in passing, uh, the Eternal said to Moses, Go get down, for your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside, they've made a molten calf, and the Eternal said to Moses, verse 9, I've seen this people, they are indeed a stiff-necked people. Now notice verse 10, he says, Now therefore let me alone, this is God telling Moses, Let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. The very fact that God is saying, let me alone, is inviting Moses to not let him alone. And so he goes on, Then Moses pleaded with the eternal as God, and said, Yes, Lord, make of me a great nation, and consume these idolaters. No, he did not say that. Verse 11 of Exodus 32. Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you, your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? 
So Moses just turns the language around when God said, these are your people whom you brought out. Moses said, no, they're your people whom you brought out. Then he continues to reason with God in verse 12 and says, why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, Moses pleads with God, and relent from this harm for your people. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said, I will multiply your descendants. But no, verse 14, so the eternal relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. So Moses heard the intercessory prayer. God heard the intercessory prayer of Moses. Moses pleaded with them. You know, another example of God changing his mind within, of course, his whole will, God gives conditional uh, prophecies and sometimes unconditional prophecies. Genesis, the 18th chapter, where Abraham was pleading because his nephew Lot was there in Sodom, and the Eternal and two angels were with him, and they were going to destroy or go to take a look at what was Sodom was going on, and then uh, if, if the facts uh, confirmed it, they were going to destroy Sodom. And so... Abraham began pleading with them. Of course, chapter 19, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting there. But before that, the Eternal said, verse 17 of chapter 18, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So he shares with him, Verse 20, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it has come to me, and if not, I will know. And so the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, that was the angels, and Abraham was still with the Lord. And so Abraham comes near to, to the eternal, the one who became Jesus Christ, verse 23, and begins reasoning with him. Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? And he preaches to God. What does he say? Abraham is preaching to him and says in verse 25, Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Zap! Boy, he was, you know, fried in a moment for such such arrogance. No. Uh, God wasn't defensive. Uh, Moses, uh, Moses, Abraham in this case was starting to negotiate with God and actually telling God what was righteous. He knew God's commandments and laws and knew what was righteous and pleading with a reasonable uh, line of... Uh, of argument to the one who became Jesus Christ, to the eternal. Then, of course, he said no. So how did God respond? How did the eternal respond? If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Verse 26. Now Abraham gets a little more humble. Verse 27 and says, I am but dust and ashes have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. And so he goes down, what if you, it's only 45. What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? 
you know, the Eternal is very patient with Abraham and let him negotiate with him, let him reason with him. We, brethren, can plead with God, and as Moses did, as Abraham did, and of course there weren't ten righteous, so Sodom was destroyed. Let's take a look at one more example along that line in Psalm 6, uh, the sixth Psalm. Here uh, David is suffering, and probably he's, uh, his body is uh, aching. He says, heal me, for my bones are troubled. So you know he's in pain. Verse uh, 1, Psalm 6, O eternal, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasing me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O eternal, for I am weak. O eternal, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O eternal, how long? Return, O eternal, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. Why should God save him? For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? If you're asking God to preserve your life, why? David's saying, you're not, if I'm in the grave, you're not going to hear me giving you thanks. So, you know, you need to keep me alive. If you want to hear me giving you thanks, you need to keep me alive. Of course, David was very, very skilled in uh, praising God and giving God thanks. Is that a reason, perhaps, you would give God to preserve your life? So we've seen several examples of conversations between God and his people. Moses pleaded with God to spare the Israelites, and he gave reasons for God to spare them. Abraham negotiated, he pleaded, he reasoned with God to spare the city of Sodom, and God listened to him. And King David gave God a convincing reason to preserve his life. And it says, uh, well, I just see that one in Jeremiah. I, I'll just turn to that. I have it marked. So Jeremiah 29. I think Dr. Meredith quoted this in a sermon two weeks ago. When uh, God is promising that the Jews in captivity in Babylon, that he will listen to them, and he will deliver them. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Eternal, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, and I will and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Brethren, God listens to you. And remember that Moses spoke to the Eternal as a friend, face to face. God promises, I will listen to you. So God has given us all kinds of promises that he will listen to us. And let me just read to you from one more uh, key from uh, 12 Keys to Answer Prayer by Dr. Meredith. Uh, key number eight, uh, be persistent. Page 13, when I was courting my wife-to-be, I just could not spend enough time with her, Dr. Meredith writes. This is personal, but I don't think he minds sharing it since it's public. (laughs) We talked in person. We talked on the phone, and I thought and prayed about her until we finally married. The true church is pictured as the affianced bride of Christ, We need to spend a lot of time with him and with the Father to become deeply acquainted. 
Remember, what we do in this life prepares us to spend eternity together with these two different personalities. This is a real relationship, and as with any other, it must be developed over time. So learn to pray regularly to God, spending enough time in prayer to become genuinely acquainted with Him. For He is the one in whom we live and move and have our being, Acts 17, verse 28. So we need to be persistent in prayer. It tells us in Romans 12, verse 12, continuing instant in prayer, that's the King James Version, or the New King James Version, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Well, in the remainder of the sermon, I will give you 15, no, uh, I'll give you a few more ways in which we persevere in prayer. One, I'll attempt to give you four, may end up only three. How can we be more persevering in prayer? One way is to wrestle with God in prayer. Genesis 32:24. You know the story of Jacob when he wrestled with the Eternal. Genesis 32 and verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. It was all, all night long. Uh, wrestling is a very strenuous uh, one that takes a lot of perseverance and endurance. Uh, 32, verse uh, 25. Now when he, of course he is uh, pronoun capitalized, meaning the eternal, Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So he said, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And the Eternal said to him, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob said, Tell me, what is your name, I pray? And why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Another instance in which God manifested himself to a human being, in this case wrestled with him. I had a particular case where, years ago, where a woman called, they were actually a wife of an ambassador student who was about to give birth, but it was a breech birth, and she couldn't deliver. So she called me to come over and anoint her, which I did. And when I got back home, I told God, I'm going to wrestle with you an hour. I'm going to pray an hour uh, for that woman whom I've just anointed. And I gave God all these various reasons why he needed to intervene for her. And uh, I fulfilled that full hour praying for her. And at the end of that hour, I said, well, I better find out what happened. So I called the home, and I said, well, is she all right? He said, oh, yeah, she's all right. She said, 15 minutes after you left, the baby was born. So I wrestled with God another 45 minutes beyond not knowing that the baby was born, but I had told God I was going to wrestle with him and did that. So sometimes we have to make sure that we are going to embrace God we are like the uh, girdle about his loins, as Jeremiah referred to it. He says, I've 
God says, I've caused Israel to be like a girdle about my loins or a belt around my waist. And we have to, again, wrestle with God and uh, plead with God if something is that serious. That's number one of four ways to preserve or persevere in prayer. Two is to claim God's promises, which, again, we uh, is the title of the semi-annual DVD that we sent out. I hope you've gotten to see those uh, three telecasts on the semi-annual DVD. Second Peter 1. Second Peter 1 and verse 2. Just again, another encouraging section in God's Word. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. So while these are promises not just for our enjoyment, they are promises that lead to your growth in spiritual maturity in divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We've mentioned uh, some of those promises on the telecast. We heard just in the vocal duet, the uh, special music, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's uh, Matthew 28, verse 20, and uh, Hebrews 13, verse 5. I'll always be with you to the end, Jesus said, and I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So God has given us those promises. In Matthew 7, 7, you know, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. I hope you've made your list of promises. We started the sermon with Philippians 4.19, that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And he's promised us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's turn there to Luke, the 11th chapter, Luke 11. So he's given us all these promises, Luke 11. And one of those, of course, is God's Holy Spirit. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Luke 11, verse 13. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Well, this leads to the divine nature. You ask God for His Holy Spirit, and He's promised to give us the gift of love through His Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that's given unto us. So claim God's promises. I've just listed a few. You can have your own list. Number three in persevering prayer is thank God continually. Turn to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, Ephesians 5. This coming Thursday, the United States will be observing Thanksgiving. And uh, in Canada, they already observed it on Monday, October 8th. And that happened to be the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, in 2012. But here in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, he says, Be not drunk with wine, verse 18, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So you ask God to fulfill His promise, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another in the fear of God. So thank God continually. 
And what, uh, what can you thank him for? I hope you've made your own list. And uh, thank God daily. I, when I found that missing uh, memo book, I told God, I said, thank you, 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 thank you. I didn't just say thank you. But you really thank God continually. I did write a poem some years ago. I think I've shared with you. I'll just, it's a brief one, so I'll share it with you. It's called A Brief Prayer of Thanks, April 9th, 1999. Thank you for the trees and the breeze. Thank you for the wind and the mind. Thank you for your mercy and for being so kind. Thank you for life and victory over strife. Thank you for Christ who is our life and for promises from above. We look forward to eternity with you in glorious love. So a third way of persevering prayer is continually thank God. A fourth and final way is to keep a prayer list or to pray for one another. As it tells us in James 5:16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So God tells us to pray for one another, which we do, and we have, of course, the prayer requests every week, and uh, I have a a whole prayer list of about 57 names that are written down. And I have a prayer list in my mind of about another 20 people that I pray for. So, again, keep a prayer list. Pray for one another. Turn to Colossians, the fourth chapter, Colossians 4. God actually mentions this particular individual because he was praying for the brethren. Colossians 4 and... Verse 12, Epiphus, who is one of you, he's writing to the Colossians, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Colossians 4 and verse 12, For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. So God even mentions this one individual who was very diligent in praying. So, brethren, you can persevere in prayer by wrestling with God in prayer, by claiming God's promises, by thanking God continually, by praying for one another, because the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Our Father in heaven has called us to have a close relationship with him, and he would like us to have conversation with him. As Jesus said that God will not avenge his own elect, will he not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night or night and day, though he bears long with them. When the Jerusalem church prayed for Peter in prison, God intervened miraculously, dramatically. When Hezekiah was on his deathbed, he pleaded with God and God gave him another 15 more years of life. Moses pleaded with God to spare the idolatrous Israelites, and God listened to Moses. When Abraham pleaded with God to spare the city of Sodom, if there were ten righteous persons, God agreed to Abraham's request. So our Father in heaven wants to hear your requests every day. Daniel prayed upon his knees three times a day. King David prayed three times a day, evening and morning And at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Psalm 55, verse 17. 
So, brethren, don't let a day go by without talking to your Father in heaven. He wants to give his children good things, because every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Pray for God's work. Pray for more laborers to enter the harvest and supporting God's work. Pray for the brethren and ministers around the world. You heard the inspiring report of Mr. Rajan Moses to India. Pray for our brethren in India and other parts of the world. And remember that, as we heard in Jeremiah 29, 12, God says, I will listen to you. So we pray not on our own authority, but on the authority of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. So, brethren, let's exercise the privilege God has given us. It's not only a privilege, but a responsibility to come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain grace and mercy to help in time of need. Let's exercise that privilege. Let's get better acquainted, walk with God, and have that conversation daily with our Father in heaven and with our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Let's persevere in prayer.